You may be seated. Our scripture reading today comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. This is the word of the Lord. So I have to apologize. Uh, Working in the school every day means that I'm exposed to every single, like, virus that the children bring. So I'm on the other side of a cold, but my voice, you may hear, is weakened. So I will do my best to project, and I'll probably still be louder than Father Chuck, but (laughs) that's beside the point. (laughs) That's another story. (laughs) So recently, I got into a fierce debate with a friend. The question we were arguing over was, is it better to watch a football game in person or on the television? I, I am pretty firmly convinced that it is better to watch a football game on TV. You always get the best views. You never have to fight for parking. You don't have to pay for it either. The weather is always exactly what I want it to be. There are never lines to go to the bathroom, and I can eat or drink anything I want on demand without selling a kidney to pay for it. (laughs) But my friend says, you're missing the point. He said, being at the football game is about being in an atmosphere that you don't, you can't experience it whenever you're watching on television. So he said there's something about standing with thousands of like-minded people. When your team makes a great play or pulls off a big upset, it creates something that you just don't get when you're watching at home. Perhaps there's something to that. I have to admit that I've only been to a couple of football games in person. I've been to a University of Georgia game. You all probably know. My wife is a Georgia graduate. Uh, But it was a Georgia game in Lexington, Kentucky. So we were two red dots in a sea of blue. And then my personal favorite team is uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, So I have been to one Steelers game, but it was in Cincinnati, Ohio. That's a bad place to be a Steelers fan, Um, especially when the Steelers are beating them like normal. Um, So... I have to say, I'm not so sure about this. Well, I was talking to a few other folks um, about the most popular pop star of our time. Perhaps you've heard of her, Taylor Swift. Recently, she finished a tour, and several of my high school students that I teach throughout the week went to one of her concerts, and they loved it. Well, recently, at the end of this tour, Swift released a a two-and-a-half-hour movie version of her tour. And so you can literally go to the movie theater and watch the era's tour in the movie theater. And, of course, my students were the first ones in line. They were there ready to watch it. And so afterwards, I asked them a simple question. I said, which was better, going to the movies or the concert? And they said, there is no comparison. The concert was the best. You see, there's a difference between being a spectator of something 
and being a participant. We tend to do the same thing with our faith. We often settle for being spectators of what God is doing, spectators of God's presence, rather than being participants in the movement of God around us. And I'll admit that it's easier to be a spectator. It's easier to stand back and watch other people experience God. It's low risk. But we as humans were created to intimately dwell in the presence of God. The opening chapters of Genesis teach us that Adam and Eve were created to dwell in God's presence, and God would come from heaven to walk with them face to face. But we know this story. Adam and Eve fell into sin. They cooperated with evil. They listened to Satan's temptations, and the sin that they committed filled them with a sense of shame. And then we we find this scripture in Genesis 3. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and the woman hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. I think this is one of the saddest scriptures in all of scripture. God came down to walk with them face to face. But they hid from God. And people have been hiding from God ever since. As you go through the story of the Old Testament, you will read how a high priest was chosen to be a special mediator between God and humanity. The first mediator between the presence of God and and the people, uh, the first mediators were Moses and Aaron. Their job was to go into the presence of God so the people didn't have to. While in the wilderness, God gave Israel the Ten Commandments, The story of God giving them the Ten Commandments is is found in Exodus chapter 20. It says that the presence of God was manifest in front of the people in a cloud, and God spoke to his people, and he instructed them. But God, and it says God did this verbally to the people, and it scared them to death. Exodus 20, 18 said, When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, when they saw the flashes of lightning, they trembled with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, (laughs) but don't let God speak to us or we will die. They were afraid of God's presence. So throughout Israel's history, the high priest stood between God's presence and the people. But that's not what we were created to be. We were not created to have a person standing between us. We were not created for God's presence to be obscured from us. We were created to know God personally and to be known by God. This tradition of being separated from God's presence continued until the time of King Herod. And King Herod uh, rebuilt the Temple of Solomon. And I've got a picture here, and this is a little bit different than some of my sermons. I'm going to walk you through and teach you about what was happening. So if you go to Jerusalem today, there's only a small fraction of this building still in existence. But, But this was the rebuilding of the Temple of God. And they believed that the presence of God was truly there, but the presence of God was contained inside the holy place, which is that tall inner building, and in the holy place, specifically in something called the Holy of Holies. And so to illustrate, if, if the, t- the temple were this building here, the Holy of Holies, there would be a curtain right here, 
and beyond this, this would be where the presence of God was. Now, every person had a different ability to experience or to access the presence of God. You'll see here the high walls going around the whole complex. Outside of that was called the Gentiles' courtyard. And so if you were a Gentile, the closest you could get to God's presence was that wall. To use this building again as an example, it's like you could walk around the outside of the church here. You could even glimpse in through the window, but you couldn't get close to God's presence. Now, if you were a Jewish woman, you could get a little bit closer. You were allowed to come in the front doors, but you had to stop at the second line of doors. You couldn't come into the sanctuary. You could, you could come into the narthex, into the lobby. And so there was the women's courtyard where the Jewish women could get a little bit closer. And then the Jewish men could get a little bit closer than that. They could come in through these second set of doors and they could sit inside here. They, they could go into the priest's courtyard, which is the second and right outside. But, but even the men couldn't go into the holy place. The holy place, which would be right here at this altar rail, that was reserved for the priests. Only the priests could get that close to God's presence. But behind the veil into an actual face-to-face encounter with God's presence, only one person could go there. And he could only go there once a year. It was the high priest. And the high priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, the whole nation of Israel would spend the day fasting and praying and offering sacrifices and, and repenting of their sin. And only after this long process of repenting of every possible sin and offering sacrifice after sacrifice, only then could the high priest go in and experience the presence of God. But we were not created to have separation between us and God. And so there's the story of, of Jesus dying on the cross, and it, it says that whenever he breathed his last at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, in the temple something happened. The curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the people, it says the temple veil was torn from the top to the bottom. And that was significant. The top is it couldn't have been done by man. A man didn't stand at the bottom and cut it from the bottom up. It was cut from the top down by God himself saying, the presence of God is no longer contained behind a veil. It's no longer contained behind high walls that you can't access. The presence of God is alive and well and out into the world. Praise God. Praise God. Hebrews, our scripture says, that Jesus has gone into God's inner sanctuary. He's gone in there for us. He is the one who ripped the veil and is now. This means that God's presence isn't obscured. God's presence is not hard to find. God's presence is accessible to every single person, man or woman, Gentile or Jew. It does not matter. God's presence is available for you. But there are a few things that we must do to prepare our hearts to experience the presence of God. We must have humble hearts. We must have eyes that are ready to see. And we have to have expectant hearts. So humility 
James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you look back through the history of the church, growing closer to God has been a pursuit found in each generation of Christian. In the early church, there was a huge emphasis that said, if you want to grow closer to God, you must be humble. And this is because throughout the church's tradition, it has been taught that the greatest obstacle to spiritual growth, the greatest obstacle to spending time with God, is pride. Pride is the sin that caused Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. It was pride that convinced her that the state of perfection God placed her and Adam in was not enough. And pride manifests itself in many ways today. Pride says, I don't need a relationship with God. Pride says, my priorities are more important than God's will for my life. Pride causes us to rebel. Pride convinces us that we can make make it on our own. Pride teaches us that we are the masters of our own fate. But the opposite of pride is humility. Humility is an emptying of oneself so that you can be filled with God. It is an obedience and a submission to God's will for your life. Humility is not easily offended or angered. Humility is where you love, desire, and obey God above all else. Humility is an admission that we can't make it on our own. And this should be something that frees us. We don't have to strive in the presence of God. You know, this makes God's presence a vulnerable place. You see, God sees us as we are, not as we pretend to be, not as we want others to see us. He sees the truth of your heart. He sees past the masks that we wear in front of others. He sees our hearts. He sees both the good and the bad, the joy and the pain, the hope and the fear. In God's presence, We can cease our senseless striving and just be for a moment. We can be a humble daughter, a humble son, in the presence of a loving father. We as humans tend to harden our hearts as we go through life. This hardening of our hearts is a survival mechanism to deal with suffering and pain and the hard things we experience. But God's presence is a place that softens our hearts. It's a safe place to open our hearts and allow God to minister to us. The second thing that we must have are eyes that are ready to see. Sometimes we imagine that God's presence is hard to find. Do I need to be in a really quiet place to experience God's presence? Do I have to come to a church and The reality is, no, God's presence is all around us, but there are certain places and certain things that help us see a little clearer what God is doing. If you say, I only experience God when I come to church, that's because you're coming to church with the heart that is most expectant, the heart that is looking. But if you look, God is all around you. So my analogy for God's presence is that God's presence is all around us, like walking outside on a rainy day. We walk outside, and if you walk outside, you're going to get wet. But will you walk around with umbrellas up over our heads, just ignoring the presence of God? And so there are certain things that we can do 
that attune our hearts, that take this metaphorical umbrella down from over us, and allow us to be soaked in the presence of God. These things include the spiritual disciplines like prayer or reading scripture or going to a small group, attending church. These things, whenever we do them, they place us in the presence of God. In the presence of God, people are healed, emotional wounds find peace, physical ailments are resolved, spiritual oppression is alleviated. In the presence of God, our burdens are laid down and serenity fills our souls. If we feel distant from God, or if we've never experienced this type of intimacy, well, then now is the time to seek. Jesus says, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. What father gives their child a snake whenever they ask for bread? The father wants to give you the good gift. If only you will seek. And then finally, as we come seeking, we can come expecting And there are some things that that we can count on, that we can expect will happen whenever we're in God's presence. The first is we can expect transformation. God will change our lives. Our prayer in God's presence should be, here I am. Do with me what you will. Make me the person you want me to be. Transform my heart, my mind, my will. In the presence of God and at the foot of the cross, our lives are changed. We can expect peace. Scripture says that one of the the fruits of the Spirit, one of the things that defines the lives of Christians is a peace that passes understanding. That means whenever the world is going crazy, you have peace. And people are like, what is wrong with you? Why are you not worried about what's going on right now? Why aren't you worried about your job? Why aren't you worried about your finances? Why aren't you worried? Because God helps me have peace that transcends the pain of my moment. In the presence of God, we are filled with that peace. In the presence of God, we should expect to be healed. God promises us spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical healing. Whenever we come to the presence of God, God gives us rest and fills us with streams of living water. Finally, In the presence of God, we should expect love. In the presence of God, we receive an assurance that God loves us. Even when we struggle, even when we fall short, God loves you. God is with you. Our whole faith is built on this idea that that there are two primary commandments for us as Christians to embody, and that is loving God and then loving our neighbor. And and one of the realities is if we go around trying to fulfill this law of loving our neighbor out of our own abilities, we're always going to fall short. But whenever we spend time in the presence of God, we are filled with God's love in a way that enables us and empowers us to love others, not with our own love, but to love them with Jesus's love. Our love is not sourced in some deep natural well within ourselves. Love is a fruit of the Spirit, which which means it is given to us by the Spirit, and we grow in love and our capacity to love by being in the presence of God. So there's one place 
that the presence of God, where Jesus promises to allow his presence to be most intimately present, right? God's presence is everywhere, but there's one place where it's most intimate. And as Anglicans, we believe that place is whenever we come and kneel at this altar and we receive the grace of communion. Jesus promises that whenever we take the bread and we take the wine, that he is there, that he is present in those elements. And so one of my seminary professors said, our faith needs something to taste, something to touch, something to do. And so whenever we come into a place and our faith may be strong, it may be weak, but we're like, Lord, I I don't really know what it means to experience you, but I want to know your presence. Whenever we come and kneel at the altar, this is a time where Jesus says, I am the most clearly, the most tangibly present. Whenever you eat that bread, that's me. I'm there in some mysterious spiritual way. And so in the presence of God, that's where you'll be in just a few moments. What, what do you need as you come into his presence? Do you need peace? Or that love beyond measure? What about healing? I invite you all to come today into the presence of God, seeking him and finding him. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us stand together now as we recite the